I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host Luke Brown and joining me in the studio this week we have Chief Football Writer Miguel Delaney, Reporter Lawrence Osler and our brand new autumn signing, Batushan Ahantaraja. Fish, welcome to the team. Thank you for having me. It's, um, it's a true honour to be here. How, how have you been settling in at uh, Indy Towers? Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. Um, a few people away for the Rugby World Cup, which has made everything seem a bit roomy. Now that they're back, I think it's going to be downhill from here, really, isn't it? A good thing, considering those who are at the Rugby World Cup, I think. <laughs> uh, this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about England. And uh, can we just start by expressing our gratitude to both Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez for bringing some entertainment to what is usually a very boring week. Lawrence, you were at St George's Park on Tuesday, and he's going to be filling us in on exactly what happened. But first, let's hear from the gaffer, Gareth Southgate, on the incident and his reaction to it. Obviously, I wouldn't normally speak ahead of match day minus one. But um, there's been a couple of statements that have, have come out of our camp and I think it was important to come and speak publicly about that um, so that the players uh, don't need to deal with that moving forward. Um, I think I'm dealing with a very young squad, very young squad, and we're in a sport where emotions often run high. Um, I think Raheem, in his post last night, explained that for a very brief moment, uh, his emotions ran over um, and it would be correct to say that's not the same for Joe um, and these things happen in football then what you have to find is a way for the group to move forward um, that needed some time uh, needed emotions across the board to calm down um, we have some excellent senior players who uh, have played a part in uh, bringing everybody together um, and you need as a manager to see that the group are prepared to work together moving forward. So that's what Gareth thinks. Lawrence, you were there. Uh, what was the mood like in the camp? How did England spin things? And, and what sort of day was it when, yeah, the story was just rumbling on throughout the entire, the entire day? Yeah, well, obviously the night before, England had dealt with it by releasing a statement explaining that they'd suspended Raheem Sterling um, or, yeah, suspended him for one game effectively. Um, then on the day, they put Gareth Southgate up to speak, which is quite unusual for a match day minus two um, scenario. <laughs> so Media day. We yeah. all the way to St. George's Park for yes. a mix zone. So it's normally just a sort of chat with players, journalists sit around round tables. So Gareth Southgate came up, fronted up, fronted up to an extent. He didn't really discuss the incident at all. Did he um, wait for a question or did he just kind of launch no. into it? So he came straight out and talked for a few minutes. He basically said that Raheem Sterling had lost, I think the words he used were, lost control of his emotions <laughs> for a few seconds. He said Joe Gomez hadn't lost control. He was quite clear about that. Um, and that was pretty much it. And then he just went on to explain that 
he discussed it with the group and he tried to really emphasize the group. I think he, someone counted up that he said the group 15 times during his press conference. <laughs> um, and he tried to really emphasize the kind of um, togetherness of the team and the fact that decision had been made to discipline Sterling in agreement with his senior players. They talk about the leadership team, which I think includes Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, um, Harry Kane, obviously, and it would usually include Sterling as well, but obviously on this occasion it didn't. Um, but the, the message he was trying to get across was that the team was united and they were prepared to move on. Can you talk a bit about the kind of chronology of, of the decisions? It all seemed a little bit muddled. So essentially Southgate made one decision, then speaks with the lads, then reverses it. Then Raheem Sterling has to drive back, having already left. Yeah, so that's our understanding. There's Gareth Southgate didn't confirm this, but he was asked, uh, "Is it correct that Raheem Sterling was essentially in his car about to drive home, um, and you'd banished him from the camp before you turning? You gave him a phone call and brought him back, and that mm. is what we understand happened." Um, Gareth Southgate didn't confirm that, and, and like I say, wasn't willing to go into too much detail about the 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 events themselves and in, the, in those sort of two or three hour period. Um, he was more keen to stress the later period, which it seems what happened after S Sterling came back. They obviously had a discussion. Um, he spoke to Joe Gomez and then they had this team meeting. Um, and the team meeting was something that, again, Southgate talked a little bit about, but actually we got most of the information from Ben Chilwell. They put Ben <laughs> Chilwell up. I don't think he'd ever spoken before to the media. <coughs> Um, for England, certainly. And he talked quite liberally, probably more than I, I imagine Southgate wanted him to. Netflix and Chilwell. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Chilwell talked and sort of revealed a bit about how Southgate spoke to the players. Then Sterling talked and apologised to both the players and to Gomez. He also said, interestingly, that Gomez got things off his chest. So it sounds like Gomez had the chance to actually... Have a go back. Have a go back a little bit. And, and yeah, talk to the group. Some other people spoke and, and he says that that's put it all behind him. Migs, you've got a piece up on the site currently which uh, defends Southgate's hardline stance, they're the words used. Uh, why do you think he made the right decision in this instance? Uh, what this story is really about, I suppose, it's not Sterling Gomez per se or the City-Liverpool rivalry. It's essentially how you treat, how, how you manage your players and the, the different types of um, man management in that way. Um, and so I think key to that is basically Southgate has very conspicuously made a point of going against the history of how the England team has been managed. He's gone in for this kind of, as, as, as uh, Lauren said there, this whole group culture. Uh, in other sports, I, I know he's taken influence from a lot of other sports, particularly rugby, the military, well, that's not a sport, <laughs> <laughs> but, but in terms of how, how to build a group dynamic. Um, and like in rugby or in other circles it's been called the no dickheads rule which basically anyone that steps out a lot, basically any sort of difficult character isn't really considered because they affect the harmony of the group um, which is which is why some players have been dropped why other players have not been considered and why other players still have been told they have a bit of growing up to do before they can get a start you can probably read between the lines there um, so that means I think there's a certain standard of behaviour in the team ex expected. So when when one of your star players, probably actually at this point your 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 best player, someone seen as a paternal figure to a lot of the younger players as well, when he basically throws a strop in a canteen over a previous day's game, unconnected to England and a club rivalry, you can't really be having that. So I, I think he's dead right. And actually, the, the more that's come out, the more I think Southgate is right because this wasn't even 
But do you think he was right? So if his original decision was definitely a hardline stance, which mm-hmm. is to send Sterling away from the camp and see you later. But he's then had a meeting with the players, listened to what they had to say, then reversed that initial decision. That seems a lot less hardline. But, even, it, it, but I think that even then it is still hardline to basically just tell, especially given the occasion that it is, the thousandth game and all that. I think I think it is still a because I mean if you think, look reverse it a little bit, we only it's only now we know that it's a two game ban or that he's out that he was out altogether. Whereas initially everyone thought the one game ban was hardline. So I think it's still fair. And I think to be fair, it shows a bit of flex and compromise from Southgate to uh, that he was. And also maybe he himself just kind of changed his mind. Thought maybe I've gone a bit too far. Vish, do you not think it's a little bit of a kind of a hollow gesture, really? That. He's dropping Sterling for, you know, this match. I know it's the thousandth game, but it's, it's Montenegro. It's a, it's a winnable match. Is it as kind of hard line as maybe it appears to be? Oh, I don't know. Because th- someone proposed that the other day, oh, I suppose a couple of days ago. And I remember thinking that I suppose maybe, you know, if this was a semi-final of a World Cup, maybe it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, taking a stance so, um, so hard. But then at the same time, I, th- I think with what he's done, I do have a lot of time for just to pick up on what Miguel said. It, it, to me, it sounded like Southgate had made the decision to send him away and then having consulted the team, had obviously got a better picture of what actually took place. Because I think it's been interesting that if you look at the language used by the players and Southgate and even some of the reports that have come from inside the camp, there seems to be a lot of witnesses there. And so I thought that was quite interesting because evidently I, I did wonder if maybe the situation itself started as a a bit of like gentle ribbing and then escalated into something yeah. a bit more. Um, it certainly sounded like Joe Gomez was in a, by trying to, you know, maintain the peace, might have said something that just pushed, you know, I suppose the wrong buttons on Reem Sterling. Um, I think it's probably a message though, isn't it? It shows that while he is a senior player, I think you forget that like, because he's so young, he is actually, you know, a senior player. Players are going to look up to him even if they're slightly older than him coming into the team, for example. So I think it's, I think I think it's good for I suppose, for Southgate's perception within the group that he's taking the stance he has, and I wouldn't say it's particularly weak because these games mean nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, In relation to the point about the semi-final, though, I mean that's what all this is about, really. I mean this is all building England to a point where the team is basically has has the sort of chemistry that they're capable of getting to a, to a semi-final so I think it is fair that you show more flex in that situation and and I think it, it, it is different as well I suppose most of the criticism certainly that I've seen of um, Southgate um, in this situation has been that he hasn't kept it behind closed doors right and he's been quite yeah. open to discussing it and kind of talking about what's gone on but as you said Fish the fact that it was pretty much the most public kind of incident you could have within a team camp I suppose he didn't really have much choice yeah no definitely I think also um, it's been interesting how Southgate has dealt with the media I think because obviously there was you know in previous England teams in the past you know stories would get leaked out and you could almost get to a stage where you could attribute the source of the story through the writer, if you know what I mean. And I think what it seems from this England side, certainly the way they approached the media um, during the World Cup last year, was that they they kind of understood that things like this are going to happen and why not just be more proactive than reactive? Now, I know we were talking uh, off-air about how, about, I suppose, the, the timeline of events and whether the Mail got the story first and then England came out with their statement. I don't necessarily have a problem with that because, you know, why not just nip it up, nip it in the bud? Why not Southgate front up as soon as possible? I was quite surprised that they um, they didn't do what Sunes did with Boyer and Dyer, just <laughs> sat on either side of him and just, you know, had it <laughs> out then and there. But, um, yeah, I think the, the transparency of it, someone used that word earlier, that transparency I think is quite important. And it's just kind of, 
it diffuses the situation quite quickly. We're talking about it because it's, you know, we've got nothing else to talk about. Who gives a toss about the thousands game, to be honest? But it is, you know, I, th- I think I've, I think he's dealt with it and England have dealt with this pretty well. Larry, do we think that, you know, there is an argument that Southgate's authority has been undermined just a little bit? The fact that, you know, he's kind of publicised the fact that his initial decision was, was rode back by the the leadership group or whatever he calls it. And, and, and also just the fact that England's strategy does seem to have been very muddled. It's not like there was kind of one decision and then they went with that. They've kind of, they made a decision, they rode back on it. Nobody quite knew what was going on. And it's, there's, people are still quite confused about what actually happened. Yeah, I think there's a risk with taking the line that Southgate's taken, which is which, as we talked about, is that group mentality and that group decision making where he consults his leadership team before making a big decision which is that you then undermine your own ability to just manage and lead and be decisive in this situation so the fact that Southgate feels he's had to almost gain the consent of some of his senior players in order to make the decision while it could be seen as a a nice sort of compromise thing to do in order to keep the unity of the team it could also be seen as a slightly weak thing to do, you know, you'd never imagine Alex Ferguson, for example, consulting players before disciplining a player. He would just discipline a player. So there is an element of wondering how it might affect his, um, yeah, kind of position of of leadership within uh, in charge of the team. And I also think one of the interesting things that came out of yesterday was just the reaction of the players. So you had Chilwell and uh, Ben Chilwell and um, Callum Hudson Odoi talking to the media at the same time in separate rooms. And, and in one room, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi was really praising Raheem Sterling. It seemed really from the from the heart he was talking about how Raheem Sterling is an idol of his um, and seemed to really come out fighting strongly in Sterling's corner. In the other room, you had Ben Chilwell and he was asked, do you have any sympathy with Raheem Sterling? And he basically indirectly said no. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of issue, is there a slight split in the camp? Not necessarily in terms of Sterling and Gomez, but in terms of how um, Southgate has dealt with Sterling. And, and perhaps it's one of those things that in a, it might be a couple of years before we really find out whether it developed a split in the squad. So, someone actually, just while you're talking there, a mate from a rival newspaper, you have to be very cut off from reality and very entitled to think there shouldn't be consequences for workplace violence. And he was on his second warning, <laughs> wasn't he, Sterling? He, he'd already been warned for being late, I think, mm. um, and already had been reprimanded, and now this Oh, happens. yeah, yeah. Do you not think with, just Lawrence, just of what you said there, do you not think like the crux of Southgate's management, the reason he's had so much success is because he's empathetic? Mm. And so kind of being... I suppose be more flexible with some of those big decisions and consulting the group. Oh, yeah. I think just even even the act of doing that, I think, will just be beneficial. Even if he does have to row back on a decision he made, I don't think people would see it as weakness because he's come in and done so much with that particular quality with being more amenable to his players. I think I wonder if it, this is actually benefiting him. Maybe not externally. Maybe not on Twitter when people are discussing things like we're discussing in here. But also, I think w- for the people that matter, for the people who are going to take cues from him, he's probably earned, you know a touch more respect as well. Do you think there's any serious danger of Sterling potentially losing his place in the team now? If if Hudson Odoi starts on Thursday night, no, he's still the best player. Yeah. So even if Hudson Odoi scores a hat trick or something, and then there's huge pressure on Southgate to stick to that decision, it'll be someone else to, move, to lose out. Still think that he yeah. just walked straight back in. Yeah, but then th- that proves it's just a complete hollow gesture, isn't it? Uh, not right now, because to be fair, it's he's been shot. I mean, if he can, if, if this happened again, yet yeah, then it would be an issue, though. Like, then, so no, I think it's fair enough. 
Have you guys been surprised at how in a lot of newspapers and on a lot of websites, even though he was clearly the person that fought, Sterling's been portrayed as the victim a little bit? Do you think that's maybe something to do with, you know, how news organisations are kind of quite almost kind of apprehensive to criticise him, given yeah. all of the kind of unfair abuse he's had in the past? Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of that as well. I suppose then the other side is if journalists have a relationship with people he's close to, they'll obviously, any or they're getting his side, then they'll angle it in that way. Yeah. I also think a lot of the comments where you see them saying, oh, Sterling's been hard done by, it's accompanied by a comment saying, you know, um, look what he's done over the last 18 months. Uh, he's our best player. It's the thousandth game, which completely undermines the idea that you should treat every player equally. Mm. So I think, yeah, if, if it was any other player, you would sanction them, and I don't think we'd have a problem with it. So I, I'm, I'm quite surprised, I should have to say, by Sterling's behaviour in the way. I mean, even, uh, like, not, not in the sense that he's kind of riled by the Liverpool City rivalry, but that, given how mature he's been over the past 18 months, to get, to, for, for, to let... To simmer like that and to kind of blow up like that, I think is... I read one of the theories, I don't know if you saw this, mm. which was that he read a lot of the comments on social media after his bust up with mm. Gomez on the pitch. Okay. And, and he was mocked, basically, for, you know, obviously being clearly much a smaller man yeah, in that yeah. battle. And you know, a lot of people say that he'd have uh, Gomez. That's another uh, podcast. Who would win a fight between yeah. Sterling and Gomez? So I wonder if that whole build-up, obviously, the emotion of going to Anfield, losing the game, which must be frustrating, mm. having these physical confrontations, then going on social media and being mocked for squaring up to Gomez might have just yeah. all bubbled up. And, and But yeah, I, I agree. I'm surprised because he's one of the more mature leaders in the group. I was um, I th thought it was quite interesting that you forget like how quick the turnover is. Bear in mind, they played on Sunday night and the England team yeah. meet up again on Monday. I did wonder if maybe, and, and this is purely being wise after the event, I did wonder if there was an element of even just letting those players, even just players on Sunday, just rock up on Tuesday, you know, just give them a bit of time to cool off. But also, like, having seen what's happened, I think someone mentioned it, maybe Martin Tyler on commentary, actually, said something along the lines of, or maybe Neville, actually, um, it'll be interesting when they meet up for England. Yeah, people were tweeting. That uh, yeah, and it was like kind of very much tongue-in-cheek at the yeah. time, but evidently, you know, like it was quite a big moment and it's interesting that, like I reckon Raheem Sterling would have been sent that video of Gomez going up to him quite a lot. It would have been kind of viral fodder on, you know, all sorts of channels, but also like, you know, players do watch that stuff and they do kind of get it sent to them by their mates and like acquaintances and stuff like that. And I do wonder if he was just getting inundated with it and... Yeah, just really got to him. And the first face he encounters on uh, on Monday morning is a bloke who's been besting him, not just on the field, but all through the night as well. So, yeah, I, I can understand why he was riled. I, I mean, he's definitely gone about it totally the wrong way. But then at the same time, is there not a little bit of you thinking, like, I kind of like that bit of feistiness. That's why he's where he is. That's why he's as good as he is, because he doesn't he can't stand stuff like that okay great stuff uh, we're gonna have a quick break now when we get back we're gonna be talking about england's 1000th match celebrations and also assessing their euro 2020 chances ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. England played a mighty Montenegro on Thursday night in the team's 1,000th international match. Uh, the FA seem very excited by this, uh, but can we think of a less inspiring match <laughs> to mark the occasion, Miguel? It, it, it does feel as if... This is kind of, I mean, it, obviously the FA are going to do it. But I remember seeing the initial email and thinking, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and that that's about the extent of my thinking on it. <laughs> it, it. It doesn't really seem something that they're going to put the public are, are up for in that sense. I'm surprised they didn't try and squeeze in like a glamour friendly. Yeah. Last time around or before yeah. this one. I think they looked into it, but there was no date in the calendar. Right, okay. Um, so I'm intrigued as to kind of, What's gonna what's gonna be like? Do you think I mean, it's ultimately, it's a it's a good opportunity to have a bit of fun in England's history. And should win. They should win. <laughs> they should win. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways, actually, pe- pe- people might talk about the. I'll probably end up writing this, but people <laughs> talk about the uh, the Sterling uh, Gomez thing overshadowing the celebrations and all that. But actually, it is the most fitting tribute possible, <laughs> uh, given that so much of England, particularly the last fifty years, has been, <laughs> you know. Conditioned by these sort of kind of tensions, uh, the current team is actually quite fitting as well. Their, their, their status in that they um, we don't really know how good they are, uh, which has pretty much been the case for the past forty, fifty years again. Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, do you think a, the last international break really kind of slowed England's momentum? The obviously the loss. But then the kind of with what happened in in Bulgaria and and all those kind of negative headlines, it just feels like they've lost a little bit of momentum. But also uh, that little bit of the fun's been kind of yeah, out that, of it. that's probably true. Actually, that's a good point. I might steal that from a piece later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the fun, the fun is over. A brief as it was, a, a year. Uh, although they were very good in the Bulgarian game. I mean, yeah, beyond every, yeah, this like they were. It was one of their best performances in ages. There is an element of that, though, isn't there? That mm. Southgate, like you. I'm going to take a pull. I know it actually. I want a co byline. Yeah, well, you know, additional reporting by. <laughs> the, like, the classic Southgate gif that you think of of his time in charge of England is him applauding as they're singing that. Um, what song is it? The All Saints song? Or? Oh, um, oh, not All Saints. Saints. It's um, Atomic Kitten. Oh, Kitten yeah. Apologies to Atomic Kitten. Football's coming. That home one. And he, yeah, and An awful song. He's applauding. <laughs> he's wearing the waistcoat. <laughs> I think it's a good tune. <laughs> no, um, not for me. But yeah, more recently, it's just him sort of quite sourly talking about things like racism or sort of gravely not sourly but talking about yeah racism issues um obviously the sterling incident and and other things that are much less enjoyable and i wonder if yeah the the fun has been sucked out of it a little bit yeah i mean that that that's another thing about all of this as well and that yeah just in relation to what you're saying i mean even before the racism thing kicked off in bulgaria there was the controversy about james madison and i it does feel that no matter how much southgate tries to get england away from all the old perceptions just the, the force and like the, the media scrutiny in England is so big that it's almost impossible that there'll always be something. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's been quite interesting. The because the topics he's had to deal with have been so heavy, you mm. kind of lose sight of where 
where the team are. But when you think about it, given the how they did at the World Cup and how they've been performing, they go into next go into the Euros. They're they're going to have to do something worthwhile. Yeah, this isn't suddenly. This isn't still. God, isn't it really exciting to see all these new players and see no egos? Like, do need to win something. You oh, do need yeah. to have something tangible to, uh, yeah. so that this is actually working towards something. And we're probably getting to that stage now yeah. where Southgate's looking around thinking, right, I need to like just build a robust team here. We're now in a slightly weird situation, and this, I don't want to be jumping the gun on this because they've only had one semi-final in the last 20 years in that way, but we're suddenly in a situation, given it's sort of a home tournament, or at least ending at home, and they have so many home games, given the amount of quality players coming through, there'd be a sense that a semi-final might be a disappointment. Maybe not under performance, but just to... If know. they lose a semi-final at Wembley, I mean, yeah. that will, yeah, that will no way be seen as progress, will it? And currently they do feel like, whereas for a lot of the last year, particularly around the Spain and Croatia victories, I think you can rightfully consider them among a group of about eight teams that were at the top in the world. It feels like they've slipped back behind the, yeah. uh, a kind of a, a top tier within that eight. I was going to say, have we actually learned anything that, notable um, about the team during this qualification campaign because it feels for the qualification campaign for the World Cup there were some good friendly wins there were some very good performances there were a lot of new players being embedded in this time around I suppose you've got Sancho has kind of really won his place but other than that well I think they've learnt that playing four at the back is going to be difficult so obviously had three three or five at the back during the World Cup it was very successful he's transitioned now to four at the back and basically said that he will stick with that through Euro 2020 and we've conceded quite a lot of goals Mm. quite a lot of poor goals Um, and I think that has been uh, exacerbated by the fact that players like Harry Maguire Joe Gomez are either John Stones are either not in very good form Mm. or not actually playing football at all Um, so that I think is a major issue so we've learnt that I think we've also learned that four-two-three-one doesn't really work. Yeah, he played he, it against Czech Republic, and it was rubbish. Basically, he doesn't know what his best midfield is. No, he doesn't at, at all. all. Really, and I think an issue with that is that people like Mason Mount and James Madison, mm. who are playing really well, don't necessarily fit. I think Southgate's idea of a four-three-three. Yeah. Um, so then you have to force Mount into a number ten position, mm. which which just didn't work against Czech Republic at all. And I don't think Southgate will now go back to a four-two-three-one. I think he'll stick with a four-three-three for the tournament. Um, he has to play Sterling, Kane and Sancho. So he'll play Sterling, Kane and Sancho probably. Then he'll play Henderson with whoever the holding, probably Rice mm. as a holding role and then one more sort of advanced in that three. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I kind of think we've slightly regressed almost in, the, yeah. I- in that period. Well, actually, related, I mean, do we think Kane will be a starter by Euro 2020? We were talking about this before the pod. 100%. He's got it sure. <laughs> he's, he's not, if you look at the underlying numbers... But in terms, of, in terms of the role he does for England, which is very different to one he does for Spurs, mm. he kind of brings in people and allows Sterling to basically go, yeah. off, go off ahead of him. I he's, he's captain as well. I just can't see South, for Southgate to drop him well, and essentially is, strip him with the armband. This is the thing, isn't it? Because because Southgate has operated with such a consistent squad, essentially his tactics are now built towards specific players, aren't mm. they? So if you were to shift Kane out, though, or if Kane got injured, you'd have to pick a like-for-like like for his role rather than the form yeah, striker. Mm. But then who would that be? Yeah. Abraham's close. I, Abraham's but do you think Abraham? I don't know if Abraham's like go, moving away from goal. Yeah, yeah. Moving away to yeah, Abraham's not dr- goal. I don't dropping know if he like can, thirty yards he, out to he's pretty, passes. He's pretty close to it than Vardy though. If Vardy's retired, well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's strange. I think he's kind of he has to. I, I wonder if Kane's role has evolved, basically in that mm. his little patches of poor form, and also Sterling's rising form, where you don't necessarily rely on Kane to get all the goals. Yeah. And you're gonna get some from midfield as well, which is why I suppose like someone like Deli Ali, his. Gold drought was a bit of a worry because you kind of 
mm. end up putting all your hopes on a, on a striker who's just simply out of form. But I also wondered if we've got to a stage now where actually we just you just need to stick with him and hope. Kane's not comes actually been playing that badly. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no I know so, not Spurs all, have no. been playing badly, but Kane's been doing okay. Okay, yeah, but this is, I mean, it's relative to what Kane should be. I know, be. but when you look at the, the competition out there and the fact that his scoring record for England is incredible. He, he does guarantee you four penalties basically yeah, through the tournament, probably. which is always handy. That's and a couple good, of yeah. assists with a few through balls. So. Yeah. yeah, I think he will start. And Drop him for me. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not my country, so <laughs> I can be, I can be evil reckless. cackle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, that's question. obviously a bit strong, but I don't know, I... I I have concerns about Kane. There's a, there is an argument. I mean, Tammy Abraham is what? Is he top scorer, I think, at the moment in the Premier League? Yeah. yeah. Vardy and then... Vardy's got one more. Yeah. So Jaime Vardy. If, if he win, does win the Golden Boot and Kane just finishes mm. on sort of 10 goals, yeah. it's quite hard to, I don't to think leave it him out of the team. I don't think it matters. I think he could go the rest of the season without scoring and he's still playing. But is that a good management strategy? No, but I think it's what Vish said. I think it's his role for England is so much more important than just putting the ball in the back of the net. And also, if you play a striker like Abraham... I'm not really sure you can then play Sancho and Sterling yeah, either side of it. That's incredibly lightweight. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do think his hold-up play you know, is very different to, say, Vardy, for example. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, Obviously, Kane is the stronger player at that. It feels like every week on this podcast I have to defend Kane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's just, let's just out of spite. Uh, last question. Um, it's an in- inevitable one, really. But uh, do you think England can win Euro 2020? Let's go around, Miguel. They can win it. I think they there's enough quality, I don't think they will. Do you think they've got less of a chance at winning the Euros than they did World Cup? No, they've got more of a chance. Fish? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree wholeheartedly with that, yeah. They they can win it, I don't think they will. I think that a few things will have to go their way. Yeah. And I think they have to rely on... They'll get they'll get to a stage in the tournament where, or if they you know get to the last stage of the tournament, they'll be in a situation where other teams have to underperform for them to go through, I reckon. I don't think they've just... They've got enough to, to beat like a, a top-tier international side. Larry? I am less optimistic, I would say, that other than Trent Alexander-Arnold, the back six, so four, goalkeeper and holding role player, yeah. aren't good enough, really. So I'd, I'd be very surprised if Southgate, between now and then, puts together a team that can win the tournament. That's a bit of a strike frustration with England. They've got a lot of quality, but a lot of it's in the same areas. Right back. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that Alexander-Arnold hasn't been completely bedded in in yeah, this qualification yeah. campaign is ridiculous. He's still playing Trippier, isn't he, most, yeah. most of the time? Trips. 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 <laughs> the trip switch. <laughs> um, which is, is, yeah, odd. Okay, thank you, gents. Uh, there's just enough time left for a hero and villain of the week. Lawrence, do you have a hero? Um, it's... Fuck, I have enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I completely forgot about this. I keep that in, I enjoy Vish. Uh, the independent team from last night in the oh, debut. Oh, the Opta quiz. Debut in the Opta quiz. You know, team thrown together hastily in the end. Yeah, finished a respectable eight out of 35. So, you know, well done, the lads. Can't be sniffed. And lads. Join. Oh, she hasn't joined yet. So oh, secret, secret. The yeah. lads. Yeah. Uh, Vish, have you got a, uh, a villain to put you on the spot? Yeah, I'd say villain Pep Guardiola. Like, <laughs> just the way, trying to com- claim those handshakes at the end were not sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible, and like he he genuinely looked unhinged at the end of that. Like <laughs> he was genuinely quite worrying. The the second, the, sorry, the final one where he puts his two fingers to the sky as if like you know, just you know, see if God was on his side as well. It's just a <laughs> yeah, maniac. It yeah. was if he was like a lead, lead a cult to death. Yeah, yeah, he would, he would, wouldn't he? Yeah. And he'd be the first to jump. He's <laughs> brilliant manager, but an absolute fruit loop. <laughs> I'm glad this is 40 minutes into the podcast, not 40 seconds. <laughs> 
Uh, thanks, guys. Sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything going on. If you're a new listener, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye.